Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Hillary Gam will join us to discuss billions lost. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, the challenges of today's digital age can seem overwhelming and sometimes scary, but in the new book, Billions Lost, the American Tech Crisis and the Roadmap to Change pulls back the curtain on the wizards of America's technology industry to simplify the current American technology landscape for every reader. The book is written by Hilary Gam. For most of her career, she spent over 25 years at the front lines of America's high-tech industry, and she is the woman behind the stunning revelations in in this new book, Billions Lost. And very pleased to have you today uh, on the program, Ms. Gam. Hi, thank you so much for having me, and thank you to your listeners for tuning in. Certainly a fascinating book, certainly a timely book, and one I think a lot of people are uh, certainly interested in. Got you into the, in this topic, and uh, why did you decide to write this book? Uh, the reason I decided to write the book, I've worked in technology uh, pretty much my entire career, and I wrote the book primarily because so many people were calling me for references, and they were losing their jobs, unable to get uh, new jobs in the tech industry in the U.S., And although I was living the paradigm, I didn't realize how pervasive the issues were uh, in terms of how many jobs have left the U.S. from a technology sector perspective in every industry, including the technology uh, industry. So I felt it was time to kind of set the record straight, give people a little history, and give them some insights as to what's going on in the U.S. today and uh, what the potential uh, actions can be uh, to correct kind of the path we're on now and maybe come up with a better course, uh, both from an education and a technology perspective for the country. You say that are the the main factors then that have gone into uh, the offshoring of technology jobs? Well, the primary reason the jobs were able to be offshored in the quantity and magnitude they have been uh, is because during the 1990s, there was a lot of outsourcing beginning to erupt, primarily because the country was so concerned about the Y2K turnover. At the same time, a major U.S. technology company was being sued for not providing benefits to its workers that were contract labor. Uh, That was called the Permatemps lawsuit. And in addition to that, in the 1980s, uh, technology projects were basically starting to develop as a standard process, which ended up being called program and project management. And accreditations followed that with both um, PMP, which is um, project management professionals, and agile scrum masters um, even after that. And so the institutionalizing of how technology is delivered, uh, the lawsuit that basically cornered a large tech company from being able to hire contract labor in the U.S., 
and the national scare of really being concerned about the computer clocks turning to Y2K, uh, really were all the things that went into what I call in the book a perfect storm that created this huge exodus of tech jobs out of the country. Is it more that uh, the tech industry has just evolved such that this, this sort of work can be also kind of anywhere? Yeah, that's true, too. You know, the advances in technologies with Skype and Internet and intranet, uh, cloud computing have all enabled uh, easily uh, working remote workforces. Uh, unfortunately, I wish there were more U.S. remote uh, technology labor being employed, but a lot of international uh, remote work has been enabled through the advances in technology. You're 100% on target on that one. How, how much then is this affecting uh, the economy? Do, do we see these uh, jobs kind of ever coming back, or what, where are we? I guess? You know, interestingly, I think a lot of folks that were in the tech business that, you know, kind of mature and are making good money, you know, well over $100,000 a year, they find that they're unable to be reemployed in the industry. And I think many folks, especially over the age of 45, typically look for other professions to go into, sadly. Uh, but I do think that we have an opportunity in the U.S. to bring back a lot of tech jobs. Uh, I think Silicon Valley functions as a leader. I think in the 2010-2015 uh, timeframe, a lot of companies in Silicon Valley decided to change the remote work, work from home ideology in Silicon Valley, and then all industry followed suit for technology jobs. And so even though you have hundreds of companies in the U.S. that have foreign tech labor working remotely, uh, the double standard, sadly, for U.S. workers for those same companies is that they have to come back to the office. So I do think there's an opportunity if some of our leaders in technology start bringing back a lot more remote work and publicize it for a lot of tech jobs to come back to the U.S. And I also think that there's a huge opportunity, given the advancements in technology, to employ a labor force that hasn't been employed before. I think folks with disabilities, I think parents uh, that could work part-time, I think those are all huge uh, opportunities uh, to employ Americans in this particular sector, and I'm hoping that happens in the future. Global workforce in places where these tech jobs have gone overseas, India, China, certainly labor costs are much, much lower there. How do you think U.S. companies can compete with hiring uh, domestic labor force? Well, I agree. That's the reason the jobs were outsourced, right, because there was um, a huge gap in the wages that we pay technology workers outside the U.S. and inside the U.S. But I think one of the primary issues that we had um, after that permatemp lawsuit was that the small businesses in the U.S. that supplied tech labor really were handicapped and are still handicapped today. So today when we hire temp tech labor in the U.S. and actually temp labor in any industry like accountants, um, marketing folks, you know, financial services, what have you, they're all confined to working a 12-month uh, term and then they're forced to quote-unquote go on the bench. So I do think that there would be a lot more flexibility in wages in the U.S. Uh, in terms of what people were willing to take if they could have more flexibility in being hired in the U.S. So I think that's something that's important uh, to recognize. I also think that given the current news and concerns over data and data privacy, there might be some policies that come into play in the U.S. where certain tech functions that are currently being outsourced and able to be uh, offshore might have to come back to the U.S. and be, uh, you know, responsible by U.S. employees in the tech uh, labor force. 
In addition to that, our government uh, technology workers are all sourced out of the U.S. And so there is a paradigm, there, there is, there's a situation, a precedent to hire U.S. tech labor, even though uh, foreign tech labor is, more, uh, is less expensive than U.S. domestic tech labor. Well, certainly in the, the area of cybersecurity, uh, these, these sorts of lean that direction. What is the, the current state of the, the labor force that exists and the, the labor force that's coming up into the tech field? Are, are people still uh, being drawn to the tech industry as avenue for, for pursuing a career? Thank you so much for asking that. I'm so thrilled to answer this question. No one's asked me uh, that question before, and it's such an important uh, topic to talk about. You know, I think there's a lot of Americans who are still very interested and focused in getting to the tech industry because it's a very well-paying um, industry and, and a great place to be. It's also, you know, pushing the envelope, right, in terms of where we're going to be uh, in the future. And so I think tech jobs in general are still a hot commodity, and they're terrific. I do think, however, sadly, women are now on a 10-year decline in terms of moving into the tech field. Uh, there's a huge scarcity of women uh, going into the technology field, both from an education and from a professional perspective. And many women that are in uh, technology over the age of 45, 50 are really just being weeded out. There's hardly any women uh, in tech left. And just from a leadership perspective, um, you know, the women that have been in uh, leadership tech positions in Silicon Valley and in the industry in general are dwindling in numbers. There's, there's very few left. So, uh, you know, that's an that's a unfortunate situation, but I think one that can be reversed. Uh, there's a section of the book where I talk about education and how that links to uh, preparing our country to fill these tech jobs moving forward. And I think we have uh, lots of opportunities for improvement and a real chance to get many more uh, minorities and women and um, boys uh, engaged uh, in the tech field uh, moving forward. You also mentioned the the importance of a uh, labor force that comes from uh, outside, people who come to study in the U.S. and stay, and and trying to simplify the process for them to help uh, the economy by. Well, I think that uh, the H-1B visa and the other visas that bring tech labor into the U.S. I think that they help augment the technology labor that we have uh, in the country. I do think they act as an accelerator, so I think that for every onshore, you know, H-1B visa holder or L visa holder, there's an opportunity then to be managing their offshore team, which is a huge multiplier. Sometimes between two and 100 folks are working offshore for that onshore uh, visa holder. I also think that there's some you know, complexity associated with the whole visa process. I think we have a lot of great people who come here and get educated, and it would be nice if they were able to stay and be employed and be part of our economy long term. I noticed that when I looked at all the statistics from the various companies and the various countries for visas, it seems that they're concentrated in particular companies and particular countries, and I think that's also something that we could probably make some improvements on from a policy perspective, you know, try to get uh, H-1B visas or tech labor from all different parts of the globe and try to kind of dissipate the oligopoly or the monopoly associated with providing so many visas to just uh, the same kind of players uh, that are operating in this space uh, in the U.S. So I think both uh, kinds of things could really improve uh, the foreign tech labor force operating here in the U.S. and create uh, better opportunities and more competitive opportunities.
Uh, your book concludes with a, you call a roadmap to change, and, and you outline about 20 different goals or action items, as you put them. And uh, rather than going into to all of these, these, these sort of seem to recapitulate a lot of what you said. Part of it is sort of increasing education pipeline, some of the promotion of these labor forces. Do you think there are any particular ones of these that are more important than others, or does it need to be a concerted effort on all fronts here? You know, I tried to go for all the different things that I thought people might consider. Uh, one of the things I think that the country needs as a whole, which I'm hoping, you know, gets a little bit of airtime, is that we need to reengage our teen labor force. You know, our, our U.S. Teen, teen labor force is at an all-time low. And I think when folks are not learning how to be an employee when they're a teenager and they kind of have a support network of their family, their community around them to kind of push them to make good decisions and learn to be dependable and responsible and show up for work and be engaged at work and earn their own wage, it's a lot harder for them when they're finishing college to get a job and keep a job and become an independent adult in the U.S. And so I think one of the things I suggested in the Roadmap to Change is to remove uh, taxation from all workers age 18 and under. And one of the reasons I suggested that was because many parents today are really focused on getting their kids into good colleges. And it's a very, especially in the technology field, a very big uh, focus for them to just make sure that their children are doing the right extracurricular activities, the right academic opportunities. And what I really think they need to do um, make it easier for them is to engage them into working and rejoin the workforce. And one of the things I found when I talked to a lot of parents was that they didn't even want their kids to work because they had to fill out the tax form under their filing, and it became really complicated for them to even get their child working because it caused them more time and anguish and angst. And so I thought to myself, you know, how much are these teen workers really contributing to the tax base of the U.S.? I think probably not so much. I think that Medicare and Social Security contributions could still be made by teenage workers, but I really feel that that's a huge opportunity for the U.S. to exploit, to get our teenagers back working again, and especially in the digital age. They have such incredible skills. They could be in all kinds of capacities, um, working in uh, technology companies or even in non-technology companies, just doing technology uh, jobs. And so I really feel that's a huge opportunity for the U.S., and that's one of the, uh, tw one of the 20 items uh, that I'd like to highlight today, and I appreciate the opportunity to let me do that. I, have, I could highlight all, all the other 19, but that's a big one for me, so thank you. I'm curious in, the, in that respect, do, do you think uh, technology companies are receptive to sort of engaging the teen workforce, or is this on their radar? I'm not sure if I think that they are. What do you think? I think that there's some internships, right, that they sometimes try to engage, but I think they could be doing a lot more. I think that if uh, one of the quotes I wrote in the book or one of the sections I put in the book was that, you know, if, if foreign labor wasn't an option, think about how tremendous the uh, the time and effort would be spent right now by U.S. tech companies to be engaging our youth and getting them excited to come work at their uh, companies and to be in the tech field. Because they have a foreign labor force that supplants the U.S. workers, they're not as focused on that. But if they were, I think they'd be having all kinds of contests. I think that they'd be providing free um, education, both in the summer and post-high school. I think they would be doing all kinds of things to engage 
uh, teenagers to get in, interested in the different kinds of jobs they could take as adults after college and, you know, bring them in in all kinds of capacities uh, in, in the tech labor force. So I really think that, you know, that's a huge opportunity uh, to tie education and the teen labor force together and then have them pulled along by this incredible, you know, fang, um, you know, group of tech giants that the U.S. Uh, has been able to uh, successfully, you know, promote and, and make, you know, successful and powerful on a global perspective, I think it would be so awesome and so wonderful to really have those companies actively pursuing um, our, our youth and getting them excited and getting them engaged in the kinds of jobs that they could do at their firm. Maybe you have some final words regarding your book, Billions Lost. Well, I hope people are interested. I hope they um, grab a copy. It's only two ninety nine for the e-copy. It's uh, available on all the major outlets and on Amazon. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come and, and speak to you today. And if anybody has any questions, they can send me an email. Uh, my email contact information is on the website, billionslostbook.com. And I thank you so much, sir, for uh, having me on the show. Uh, well, it's certainly our pleasure and uh, certainly a fascinating book. The book, again, is called Billions Lost, The American Tech Crisis and the Roadmap to Change. The author, Ms. Hillary Gammon. Ms. Gammon, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.